Let us now open our Bibles in this afternoon as we pay attention to the fifth commandment. Let us read from two passages in God's Word, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, let us read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 2, and then from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, the verses 15 through 22. Psalm 2, hear then the word of our God. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so far from the book of Psalms and then turning to the New Testament, to the gospel according to Matthew, reading the verses chapter 22, the verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, that is Jesus, in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Congregation, this afternoon we will focus on God's teaching as it pertains to the fifth commandment. And to that end, let us read together what we confess as church in the Heidelberg Catechism concerning the fifth commandment. Let us read together the words of Lord's Day 39. And there we confess together as church, what does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. And so far, the catechism. And after the teaching of God's word, let us respond in song, singing together from Psalm 47, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3, which speaks of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ and his rule over all. 
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, how often are not the children and teens among us told to obey, obey various authority figures in their life? How often are you not told, yes, listen to your mom and to your dad? And as school starts again tomorrow, maybe your parents will remind you, yes, make sure you listen to your teacher. And as adults, we are also encouraged to do the same, to obey various authority figures, whether they're police officers, governing authorities, employers, church leaders, and whoever else. And this is what the fifth commandment is all about. It says there, yes, honor your father and your mother. It means, yes, honor them and all those whom God has put in authority over us. Now, this also raises many interesting questions and interesting discussions. What happens? What happens when the demands of parental authority clash with the demands, say, of government authority? Who should we obey? And this is a very real situation these days. Just think of the current dispute about being informed as parents by the school when your child wants to change their gender, as if they can change their God-given gender. Well, thankfully, more and more provincial governments have rightly said that the parents have the right to be informed of this. The fact that this is in dispute shows how far the rightful authority of parents has been undermined by governments through the public school. And so we should realize that the fifth commandment speaks very broadly. It speaks to not only those who are under authority, but also those who are in authority. It speaks not only to parents and children, but goes beyond this very important and fundamental relationship to other relationships in, in all aspects of our, of our human life. And we as believers do well then to pay attention to what the Lord requires of us. For we need to realize that He is the one who has the sovereign authority in our lives. And thanks to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, we can begin to live in obedience to his rule and to the rule of all those who, who derive their authority from him. And yes, thanks to his commands, we can also know then the limits, the limits to the various authorities he has established here among us on earth. And so let's hear God's word this afternoon as the church has summarized it in Lord's Day 39 under this theme. Our sovereign Lord sets the extent for the obedience to authority. And we'll look first at the limits to authority and then the submission to authority. Now, when we give consideration this afternoon to the fifth commandment, we are giving consideration to obeying authority, but also exercising authority. And then not just with respect to our families, but to every area of our lives. And for this, we need to go back to the very beginning, we need to go back to the, to the book of Genesis and what you can read in the opening chapters of the Bible. You look in the very beginning and you look in Genesis chapter 2, 
God our Father called our first parents, Adam and Eve, to obey him, to submit to his sovereign rule and authority. And you can see that in chapter 2 already from the very beginning, the Lord God alone called for their unconditional and total allegiance and submission to him. Our first parents were told in no uncertain terms. They could eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they you shall not eat. In short, the Lord God, our King, was commanding our first parents, and so also us, to, to love him and to show that loved him by submitting to him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. And really, we cannot emphasize this enough. The Lord God alone has absolute authority. He is indeed, as we know from elsewhere in Scripture, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's truly sovereign over all. And he alone has, you can say, unconditional, unrestricted, unqualified authority. He rules as the supreme sovereign over every sphere, over every area, every part of his creation. And he answers to no one but himself. Now, it's also the same Lord God who has given authority to people here on earth, to parents, to governments, to elders. All these people have, you could say, derived authority. Their authority comes from God. He is the one who has given them to it. And that's what the Lord Jesus made very clear to Pontius Pilate, the governor of of Judea, when he said, yes, The authority you have comes from God. And the Apostle Paul wrote very much the same thing in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 13, where he said, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that do exist have been appointed by God. It's good to remember that God holds all those in authority accountable for how they exercise their authority. Now, before we go any further, it would be good to define authority. Authority is the right to command, to rule. We emphasize here the word right. Someone who has the power to enforce obedience. That doesn't mean, though, that he or she has the right to enforce obedience. And so anyone who has authority has this from God, and thus they have derived authority and they have rightful authority. And then we also need to realize that all these human authorities set there by God have, have limited authority. For example, parents have authority only over their own children, not over the children of other parents. Government, government has authority only over its own citizens, not over the citizens of other nations. The elders of the church, also here in Ancas, are authority over this church, not over the neighboring church. And so there are various governing bodies established by God in this world. Probably the one of the most fundamental of these governing bodies is the government of parents over their children, over their teens, over their families. And what the Word of God requires of of parents and their families is, is very clearly laid out in, in the summary that we have here in Lord's Day 39. Yes, children, teens, 
God calls you to show honor, love, and faithfulness to your father and your mother. Yes, it also confesses there, and we are called to submit yourself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline. So what does that mean? Practically speaking, it means there's no place for being lippy with your parents and talking back to them. What God commands here really is that you be cheerfully and happily submitting to their instruction, to their discipline. And even if you don't always feel like it, God still calls you to do this. And then there's the other side of the coin. Yes, parents, dads, and moms. You have here a responsibility, as it says here in the catechism, to instruct, to discipline your kids. And you're also the one responsible then for the instruction they receive with school. That's why we have parental schools. You also have the responsibility for, you could say, for the religious instruction, the instruction in the faith of your children for their, for their moral development. And ultimately, this is all rooted in, in the Word of God as we have it here. You read a passage like Deuteronomy 6. There we're told, yes, parents, that you are to impress upon your children God's commands. You're to talk about them when you sit together at home around the table, when you also walk down the sidewalk, but also when we sit in our cars and our vans with them. You read the same in the New Testament. You go to a passage like Ephesians chapter 6 where, where fathers are commanded to bring up their children in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. And so you can see from God's word, yes, that he tasks parents just to raise their children in the fear of the Lord, yes, to instruct them, to nurture them, to teach them. And we can only do this in complete dependence on the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we have parental authority. There's parental government. Now, there's another government which is often overlooked, and that's the government of self, the self. There are parts of, of our, our lives that we as, as individual adults are, are solely responsible for, yes, before the Lord God. We're called, yes, to, to govern ourselves, to exercise self-control with respect to our diet, with respect to our exercise, with respect to our work, our calling, you could say with respect to our employment, with respect to medical decisions. We and not anyone else need to make decisions when it comes to these kinds of things. Sure, others can give advice, they can give input, but ultimately the decisions here are to be conducted by ourselves. So another form of governing authority. Then there's the government of the church. And yes, we have leaders also in this church. Where do they receive their authority? They receive it from the Lord God. Brothers get called then here, yes, to serve as elders and deacons. And in fact, when they are ordained, they have been asked, do you feel that God, through the congregation, has called you to this task? And so you see, in this way, God has also given his church governing authorities. And again, guided by God's word, they are, you could say, they're sovereign over areas within their jurisdiction, within certain limits. They're responsible for such matters as church's doctrine, and sacraments, and discipline, membership, 
everything pertaining to worship here every Lord's Day. It's also the church that has that task, that responsibility when it comes to the ministry of mercy. They concern themselves primarily then in that respect, those things dealing with love and charity. And so, yes, they have the tools they also need for governing the church. They have received then the keys of the kingdom, preaching of the gospel and church discipline. And then there's yet another government that we encounter in this world. It's called civil or, or state government. And we all know that there's various levels of, of civil government. There's municipal or local government. There's provincial governments. There is also a federal government. And once again, it's ultimately the Word of God in broad strokes that defines the, the task of, of civil governments. Defines exactly what authority they have. And as we can gather from various passages in God's Word, they have tasks such as, as criminal law, national defense, maintaining a fair and impartial judicial system. Yes, it is also yes, the civil government that needs to protect the nation. As we know from Romans 13, they're the ones that bear the sword. And thankfully, we, we still have somewhat within this country a civil government, and we have still the rule of law. When it comes to all these governments I just mentioned, provincial, federal, local, they are to be governed by our Constitution. The limits of the authority of each of these governments are found within the Constitution and, and subsequent regulations. Now we need to understand that all these authorities I just mentioned are not piled one on top of the other. Christ is, you could say, supreme. He is sovereign. But it's not so that you have civil government next and below that church government and below that parental government. No, it's Christ as supreme. But all these different authorities here on earth, you could say, are side by side. One not being in rule over the other. So Christ and then civil government, church government, parental government, side by side, not one on top of the other. Now the boundaries, the limits of of these different authorities which God has established, be it parental, church, the civil government, those boundaries are often very quite clear. You could say they're, say they're black and white. For example, if, if there is a dispute in, in the church about the administration of baptism, it's the elders of the church, not the civil government, who will decide how baptism is to be administered. Say someone here would want their pet baptized. Well, it wouldn't be the parents or the civil government, but the elders. Using, yes, God's word, they would determine what was permitted when it comes for baptism. And actually, our Supreme Court recently ruled and unanimously ruled that the a secular court of government has, has no jurisdiction, no authority to revisit questions of church discipline, church membership. They rightly recognize that such questions are the sole jurisdiction of the church and that the civil courts of our land have, have no authority to interfere. 
Now, beloved, most often we're under multiple authorities at the same time. Take, for example, driving your family van. Whose authority are you under as you're driving around? Well, if you are speeding, you're liable to a fine from the provincial government. If you have drugs in the back, you're liable to criminal prosecution by the federal government. And kids, if you ride in your parents' van, well, you're under the authority of their rules. And so we see how a single individual in a single situation is under multiple authorities at the same time. And we don't really get to pick and choose what or whom we are going to obey. We're under all this authority at all times, and, and so we see their authorities are overlapping. Now, we all know also of the fall into sin of our, of our first parents. And we all know what that all entails. That entails rebellion against the rule of our God and King. They rebelled when they ate of that tree of God explicitly command them not to eat in this way. Yes, they sinned against the fifth commandment. And since then, we too are often in violation of this commandment. We rebel also against God's rule. And so often don't we also sin against and rebel against all those whom he has placed in authority over us. And we also see that rebellion not just amongst those who are called to submission, but also to those who are in authority as a result of the fall into sin, yes, we see those in authority that they at times abuse their authority and that at also other times they extend their authority beyond what God has set for them. And we see this, this result of the fall, even in our own homes. We see this where children and teens are disobedient to their parents. They simply do their own thing. They don't really give a rip what their parents think and what they ask of them. And you all know how they can be lippy, disrespectful, even lash out and snap at their parents. Now, sad to say, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, taught us that as the end of the world draws near, people will be disobedient to their parents and to all those in authority over them. Just look around you in our society. We see a general breakdown of law and order. We're living in a time of an increasingly anti-authoritarian spirit. But there's also the other side of the coin. Also as a result of the fall, yes, there are those who have received authority and they are inclined, yes, to abuse their authority, to extend their authority beyond what God has set. And the Apostle Paul also spoke of them in his letter to Timothy. Here he wrote, too, yes, as we draw to the end of the world, there are those who receive authority who will be increasingly abusive. We shouldn't really be surprised with what's going on today. And so you see, indeed, that parents, they can abuse their authority when they're control freaks around their kids, when they want to control their children and teens' lives, you could say to the nth degree, and they fail in that way to teach their children and teens to take increasing responsibility, and so also increasing freedom. We see the same also when it comes to civil governments. 
they too abuse their authority, grabbing more control over their citizens' lives. We are indeed living in a time of serious government overreach, where they usurp powers to themselves which God has not given them. And yet let us realize that this is nothing new. When you look throughout history, we see that those who govern so often, yes, fail to reckon with God's commands as they govern. And they find themselves in rebellion against God, and, and you see them abusing their authority. We see this this afternoon in, in Psalm 2, which, which we read from. There we read of, of peoples, of nations, and of rulers revolting against a new ruler. It was not uncommon for, for conquered nations and kings to rise against a newly anointed and appointed sovereign ruler. And this is what we see here in the psalm with respect to the Lord and his anointed one. What we have here are peoples and their leaders revolting against the rule of God and his son who was to come. And we see the same still today. We see it in our own nation with our own government leaders. How many in leadership in civil government are in rebellion against God? And you see this in that the murder of the unborn is not only tolerated but supported and encouraged and paid for by our government. And you see that in the, in the laws that they pass promoting the killing of the elderly and the mentally unstable. And you see it also in the laws they make with respect to gambling and, and drug use rather than outlawing these things. They use these things just to fill their coffers. And we see this with the government of Canada passing a law criminally prohibiting conversion therapy, and the list goes on. What we see here, yes, is the rulers of the earth taking counsel against the Lord and his anointed one. And they're the ones who are indeed saying, let us burst our bonds apart, cast the, away these cords from us. They're openly promoting lawlessness. They're also expanding their authority to areas which really belong to others, to other levels of government, to parents, to elders of the church. And when we look elsewhere in God's Word, we see indeed many times where governments have gone beyond their limits which God has set for them. Just think of what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Read Daniel 1 and what happened there with Daniel and his three friends. We know the story well. There a very powerful king commanded these four men to go against God's command when it came to what they ate and drank. We call this serious government overreach. And yet Daniel and his three friends chose to obey God rather than men. And when you look through world history, we see similar yet different situations like this. Think of what happened during the Middle Ages when the Pope, as the head of the Roman Catholic Church, exercised power over civil affairs of the nations. You can say that was serious overreach on the part of church leadership at the time. Yet more often we see something else in, in world history. We see civil rulers, yes, claiming absolute power over their citizens where 
the civil government claim authority beyond what God has set when there are really no limits to their authority. You have many examples from the history of this world. I think, for example, of King Louis XIV of France. He's the one who pronounced, I am the state. He claimed to be an absolute monarch. He believed he deserved absolute power and that his decisions in no way were to be challenged by anyone. You see, there's no limits with the absolute authority of the state. In this case, it was the king, King Louis of France. There are other examples. And as you go through history, as nations, as people turn away from the Lord God, when they refuse to acknowledge his sovereign rule and the rule of his son, they turn, yes, in rebellion against the Lord God. And since the French Revolution, this is only accelerated. Just look at what we've seen in the last century, the rise of totalitarian dictators, the likes of Hitler and Stalin, Mao and the like. For them, there is no God, no king above them. And as a result, they think there is no limit. There was no limit to their power and authority. And we're talking here about serious overreach, seeking complete control over the lives of those under them. And here we are in another century. We shouldn't be surprised by what is happening today. Many today call it soft totalitarianism. Our current federal government has taken power to itself, which really doesn't belong to them. When they're going beyond the limits set by God, when they refuse to reckon with God's commands altogether, we see the same overreach with the global elite, which, which gathers at Davos, where they speak of the need for one world government. Whether they do this consciously or not, many nations and, and leaders end up on the same side, doing the same sort of things, pulling away from under the rule of the Lord our God and King. Now, as the psalmist tells us here in Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then as we also read here, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What we're seeing here is that the Lord God, yes, mockingly laughs at these great world rulers. These people may be leading great nations and against him, him in rebellion, but there is indeed still one who is sovereign over them all. It is Jesus Christ whom the Father has seated at his right hand. It is through him that the Father rules over all things for our benefit, for our good. Indeed, we may be comforted in the midst of this world to know that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. But how did Jesus Christ come to be seated on the throne? Well, we need to remember that he left the glory of the Father there in heaven, and he came down here to earth. He humbled himself, and he became, as we know from elsewhere in Scripture, a servant. We have a servant king. And he exercises his authority to serve those under him. And he serves, you can say, in unselfish love and devotion. As he came not to be served, but to serve 
and as we also know from Mark 10, to give his life as a ransom. It is he who who made indeed perfect satisfaction for our sins, also our sins against the fifth commandment, for our sins committed against those who are over us. It is in him that we have forgiveness of our sins, Thus is sin of failing to show that honor and love and faithfulness to all those in authority over us. Think especially of our parents, yes, children. How often we fail to obey our parents when they ask us to do things. And yet we may know of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness. But there is also forgiveness for those who are in authority. When we are in authority, we don't always lead and govern as we should when we even may abuse our authority, when we go beyond the limits of our authority, yes, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and so our focus needs to be on him. When you're looking at Jesus Christ, you're looking at someone who was obedient to authority in every way. As we know from Luke chapter 2, even when he was a child, he, he obeyed this commandment, the fifth commandment, in a most perfect way. Here, here, here was this righteous boy named Jesus. And yet he obeyed his sinful parents, Joseph and Mary. Can you imagine, kids, if you, had, you were perfect and your parents were not? And yet we're told there that the boy Jesus dealt patiently with their weaknesses and shortcomings. He was obedient to his parents. And not just only to his parents, but to all those in authority over him. Some people like to make Jesus to be some kind of rebel. But really, he he wasn't. In no way was he a rebel, a sinful rebel. Sure, we read in, in Luke 13 that Jesus said to some of the Pharisees, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and so forth. You heard me right there. Jesus called King Herod a fox. Not what you would call a most endearing way to speak of this king. Also listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Herodians about paying taxes to Caesar. You can see from this second passage we read from that he was all in favor of filing your tax returns for obeying the laws of the land. Thanks to his perfect obedience, thanks to his righteousness, we have received the Spirit, believing in Jesus Christ. We can begin to obey each day again this commandment, whether we are in authority as parents or as elders or as government officials, but also when we're under authority as children and teens, as members of this congregation, as citizens of this country. For remember, Jesus Christ completed his work here on earth. He, he died, yes, but he also rose from the dead. He has ascended on high. And before he ascended to his Father's right hand, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's ruling right now. And he's ruling through governing authorities, through parents, through elders. And how, did he, how does he exercise his authority? He exercises it in such a way that it's truly a saving authority. He seeks to save. 
That's why he sent his disciples into this world to preach the gospel to the nations. And we're called, yes, to submit to his rule. It's a matter of the fifth commandment. We're called to submit to the fifth commandment whether we're in authority or under authority. And so may we indeed be ruled by our Lord Jesus Christ. May we submit in the power of his spirit whether we're in authority or under authority. May we indeed kiss the Son as we read it there in, in Psalm 2. To kiss the Son, the ruler, was a sign of humble submission to his rightful authority. That's what we're called to do. And when we kiss the Son, yes, then we seek to live in obedience to the fifth commandment. And when we are in authority as parents, as elders, as governing officials, we will be held directly responsible to Jesus Christ whether we recognize him as sovereign king or not. It's worth noting, beloved, that the greatest problem today is not that, that civil governments encroach on the authority of parents and children and so forth, parents and church and so forth. The biggest problem is that civil governments also do not acknowledge Jesus as, as sovereign king over all. And thus we have that warning there for them at the end of Psalm 2. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Indeed, may civil authorities, and may we remind them too, that they are under the rule of our great king, and as a result, they have limited authority. Oh, yes, let's seek to obey those who have been set over us in the Lord. Now, how exactly does that look? What does that mean? Well, the Lord Jesus did deal with this. How do we submit to, to, to God, to the great King in heaven, but at the same time submit to those who rule over us? Well, that's where we need to look at our second reading of this afternoon. There the Lord Jesus gives us guidance. When he said, yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, how do, we, how do we understand this? Does it mean that our lives are divided into two parts, one part for Caesar, one part for God, for Jesus Christ? This is what is often understood. Show honor to the government, do whatever they demand, and, and in the privacy of your home or here at church, you do your religious stuff with respect to God. Now, let's look a little closer here. There's more to it than that. Now, what we see here is that the Pharisees, along with the Herodians, the followers of Herod, were I mean, they're trying to entrap Jesus. They wanted to discredit him before all the people. And so they asked Jesus, teacher, rabbi, you know that you're a man of integrity. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You're not swayed by people because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your, what's your thinking on this point? Is it lawful, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now Jesus saw right through them. He was aware of their malice. He called them out. He called them hypocrites. Christ had entered yes, he would have alienated the scribes and Pharisees, but not just them, but every freedom-loving Jew. They all hated paying 
taxed to the Romans. But if Christ had said no, then he would have made himself liable to the charge of treason, treason against Roman rule. You notice how Jesus answered? He, he gave neither answer. He said, show me a coin. So someone gave him a coin used for paying taxes. They gave him a, a denarius, a Roman coin. And then he asked them, whose likeness is that? And on the coins you would have the likeness, the inscriptions. So he asked that, whose likeness is this? Whose image is this? That's what it literally says. There's, whose image is this? And when you look at the coin, it was pretty obvious. It was Caesar's, they replied. It's his image is on the coin. Well, coin therefore belonged to Caesar. So the coin should be given to him. Give to Caesar's. What is Caesar's? Well, if the coin is Caesar's because his image is on it, what belongs to God then? Who bears God's image and so belongs to him? Well, don't we bear God's image? After all, the Jews knew so well, everyone was created in God's image. Genesis 1 verse 26 makes that very clear. Well, if we bear God's image, we belong to God, then we should render what God has coming to him. And what does God want from us? From each and every one of us, he wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. And that way, you see, God must always come first. So what is Jesus really saying here? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, saying give to the Roman government what is its due, as an authority established by God. This government has the authority to demand taxes so it can do its work of keeping peace and good order, providing good roads and the like, and enforcing justice. And so Christ was saying, only give to Caesar what belongs to him, what legitimately belongs to him. Yes, you need to obey him, but you don't need to honor him as if he was divine. They were not to worship him. Worship belongs to the Lord God alone, and that's also true for us today. We're not to be in worship of those in civil government. There's no place really for totalitarian government having absolute control over us. This belongs to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. However, sinful nature being what it is, there's always that tendency, that temptation for government to keep adding power to its already vast portfolio of power and authority. And since secularism of our time has banished God from the public square, there's this spiritual vacuum that exists, beloved, and that opens the way for government to, to virtually take the place of God and to establish a morality that's contrary to God's will to impose a morality from above through sheer force or through power of legal declarations from courts or from legislation from government. And we see that in our, in our country today with recent legislation passed with respect to euthanasia, conversion therapy, and so forth. Now the Lord Jesus also said here, give to God what is God's. 
The point the Lord Jesus is making here that is being made in God's image, our entire lives belong to God. In that way, the demands of the state must always be very limited. The state doesn't own its citizens. The Lord God owns us. And through his Son, seated on the throne, God is sovereign over all. Sure, the emperor, the Caesar, needs to be obeyed. Wherever his will does not clash with the will of the supreme sovereign, the Lord God of heaven. And when there is a clash, then the rule of God needs to be followed. That rule, as we also find it in Acts 5, verse 29, that needs to be followed where it says so clearly, we must obey God rather than man. And so we need to always acknowledge God's Son, Jesus Christ, as the sovereign Lord of our lives. And we do this by living every part of our daily lives, including our dealings with human authorities of one sort or another in obedience to his commands. And in that way, may the Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ fill us, whether we are in authority or under authority. This is the way we live out his commands and also as we go forward into this new week. Let us indeed acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. Amen.